This is going to be an attempt to make a shorter episode. I usually make unintentionally long episodes, but today I am going to be talking about the burden of the wicked. Now, as you've been noticing this season, I've been talking a lot about principle. I've also been talking a lot about wickedness and foolishness to spirits that are very prevalent throughout the Bible from the very beginning. But one thing about wickedness, I think the biggest thing that helped me to open my eyes to what wickedness really is, is to learn what it really means. Whether you're looking at the Greek word or the etymology of the word, Wickedness means something that is toilsome, something that is burdensome. And we know that Jesus said himself that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we yield to the spirit, it's a light tug. It's not a forceful tug. So anything that is forceful, demanding, busy, a lot of these things, it it reminds me of this weird American, I would say nightmare now, but the American dream that we see now, when we turn on the TV, we turn on movies of highly successful people, what are they always doing? They have their, they're hurrying up and getting to work and they're always halfway late to stuff and they got their briefcase and their suit and whatever and they're click clacking everywhere and they're running here, running there, hurrying up, maybe fornicating along the way and then at the end of the day, they barely have time to think about their thoughts, drink a glass of wine and go on and do it all over again. That's wickedness. That's the American dream. Now our idea of success now is what the Bible calls wickedness. It's not necessarily about being evil. It's not necessarily the same thing. I mean, it is evil. It's not God's plan. Evil is the opposite of good. What does God say is good in the Bible when something is operating in its purpose when it's doing what he created it to be. It's effective. So wickedness is bad and it's evil because it makes us defective. It makes us work in a way that we were not meant to work. And like I said, it's so interesting because the very thing, and I know I, I really lived a lifestyle like this and it's even possible to be like this in the so-called church realm when when i say church i'm not talking about the biblical definition of church but the cultural definition of church that we've created that it's an institution and a place that we go to to clock in and clock out and i'm not saying it's a bad thing to meet at a place i think it's very necessary in fact the church is an assembly of people but it's a people it's not a place it's not an event. It's a people. And really, like I said in a previous episode, the church is really the children of God. And that started with the children of Israel. And we have that evidence in the New Testament because the children of Israel and Acts, when Stephen, for example, was talking about the children of Israel, he referred to them as the church because Acts was not the birth of the church. It was the expansion of the church. It was the empowerment of the church, but it was not the birth of the church because God's children were in the flesh and he created it to where now we can become 
heirs in the spirit. So the people in the flesh, like I said, I already covered that in a previous episode. But like I said, he empowered us to walk in liberty, to walk free from the what did Colossians chapter two say? The philosophies of men to free us from the ordinances of man, to free us from the wisdom of man. He frees us from the ways of this world, the course of this world, the curse really of this world, because course, curse, whatever you want to call it, it's a running. It means to run. A curse means to run. A course means to run like you're running a program. You're going down a path. And God's way really isn't to run. His way is a patient way. It's a, I love what the Bible says, quietness. It's equivalent with true peace, quietness. And yes, it's pretty evident when you're somewhere quiet, it's usually somewhere peaceful. But it's a whole different thing when you take it to that spiritual level to where you're living a quiet life. It's not that you never make because. You can live a quiet life and be able to make a joyful noise. The quiet life is something that's not overly busy. You have time to think. You have time to pray. You have time. Jesus was never moving too fast. He had no rush. He had no extra obligation. He was obligated to do what God was leading him to do. But he didn't have that wickedness moving him, motivating him, leading him. He was just led by his faith, his responsibility, his purpose, and the leading of the spirit, yielding to God. It's a light yoke. It's not demanding. It is not toilsome. It is not burdensome. So today I'm going to begin the topic talking about the burden of the wicked. And hopefully I don't go too long. So let us open up with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you provided for us. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out of your spirit, your wisdom, your understanding, your counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord, your godliness, your burning, your judgment, that you would lead us and guide us in your grace and your revelatory ways, Lord, that you would open our eyes and that you would lead us in your way of liberty, liberty with boldness to speak as we ought to speak, Lord, boldness that we may speak even if it's foolishness to the world because we know that your wisdom is foolishness to the world it's counter to the world but i pray lord that you would give us the confidence of heart that we would not be weak and troubled in our heart but we would move by the direction of the spirit even if it's a troubling in the spirit we would never be troubled in the heart that we would always be confident so that we would always have the liberty to speak as we ought to speak to do what we ought to do and ultimately with all things, working our faith by love. Understanding our love is to you first. And the only way that we can love others properly is to love you. So teach us your love, lead us by your love, and guide us by your love. We uplift your name and I pray, Lord, that you would give me the tongue of the learn and give us all the ears of the learn and that you would lead us by your word. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So the first scripture I have for today is found in first john chapter three and it says the following behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not 
Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear that we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself as he is pure. I want to emphasize or I'm desire to emphasize, should I say, the aspect of hope. There's three things that are important that are highlighted in first Corinthians chapter 13. And it talks about hope, faith, and love. And we always emphasize love, but we never really, we might emphasize faith a little bit, but we never really get too deep into hope expectation. It's something that we need absolutely need without expectation. It's hard to have faith. It's hard to have love. When you have no expectation, when you have no hope, when you don't believe anything can possibly get better. It's hope is based off of possibility. Hope is based off of the opportunity that something, or like I said, the possibility that something can get better. And a lot of people don't realize when you're operating in your purpose, when you're functioning in your purpose, that was the whole reason, for example, for the creation of Eve was to give Adam hope that he would not be alone, but that he would have hope. And it's interesting. Now I've watched a few videos recently that have popped up in my feed talking about from a worldly perspective, from the perspective of the modern woman to the modern man and how we're trying to readapt and how this world now from education, the education system is actually very feminine dominated. It's always been actually, but the opportunities that came from it weren't always until now, but it was interesting. I was watching different videos from talking about the education system, the mental health of men and women, men and women's different mindsets. Now from a modern secular standpoint of what we have today. And it's very interesting how far we've gotten away from God's structure. A lot of people, you know, may, and I think it's very interesting. A lot of people have a very, I'm not sure if I want to say American way of looking at things or patriotic way, maybe traditional is the word traditional. That's the word tradition of man way of looking at things. But it's very interesting because I know recently I've been taking a stronger stand on certain issues in the Bible, but I think one thing that is interesting is, for example, as I was mentioning, some of the things concerning hope is the purpose of the union of people, because everything, even two people, we when we become a relationship with God, it says we become one spirit. When a man and a woman come together, they become one flesh. Every way of God leads to oneness, not duality, but it leads to oneness and it brings peace. It's single. It's not double minded. It's not split. That's one thing I've noticed that is interesting. And the purpose of the woman was to give child birth like she gives life. The purpose of the man was to do what he already led him to do, to take care of the ways of God. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things that overlap, but it's very interesting that the very fundamental things that God 
created us to do now are very much despised. It's very controversial now to just say what the Bible says in certain areas. Like the Bible literally says the woman shall be saved in childbirth. And it's interesting that people get offended by that because it's the one thing that literally makes people different. Like the gender is different. That is the one thing it is. It, it gives birth to life. It gives birth to expectation because our life is in our blood. And a lot of people and I don't I, I'm a, I'm trying to save that blood revelation for another podcast. But the purpose is hope gives birth to life when we have expectation, when we are operating in the way of God, we have expectation and that expectation, as it says here in the scripture, it purifies us. It keeps us focused. We're not contaminated and confused. We're not mixing other things, trying to find another way. But the expectation keeps us focused on the ways of God. And just to wrap up the point I was making with the other thing when I was talking about, for example, childbirth, when I was talking about some of the other things that I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of times when people are talking about loving someone, they're actually talking about the function of hope and more of a verb standpoint, because love usually is talking about provision. Faith is usually talking about beliefs and actions, but hope like I said, sets an expectation and nurtures dreams and nurtures even bad in people. It can nurture bad expectations. It can be motivated by fear as well. It's like the inverse negative version of hope. So hope is the reason why we even have motivation to do the things that we do. Hope is the reason why we have the motivation to act. Hope is the reason why we have the motivation to do the things that we do, the belief it, it kind of starts with hope, even though it's not the most important thing. And when your hope dies, when your expectation dies, hope deferred, make it the heart sick. So it's very important not to overlook the aspect of hope. And a lot of people don't realize that, especially, like I said, the love of a mother versus the love of a father, the order of God is set in a specific way on purpose. And I'm just going ahead and go full swing into this revelation because I don't want to brush on it and then not complete or leave any confusion. So first John chapter five talks about how there's three things that testify. It talks about the water, it talks about the blood and the spirit. We know that everything in the earth was made out of water. We are 75, like 70% water, though earth, the dirt was taking out of the water water was already here it's the very basis of the carnal level then we have the spirit of course which is equivalent to light and then we have that in-between point where god breathed into the dirt and the to the water and, and created the blood the soul because our life is in the blood and in bloodshed it talks about how where the blood is shed and not to drink blood because you're drinking the life bloodshed and where the blood is spilled it is a curse it's a the thing is, blood is the in-between place between the spirit and the flesh, the in-between between the celestial and the terrestrial. So with blood, it that's the reason why blood is usually the main thing. There's other things 
other fluids, but it, blood is the main fluid that is used throughout the Bible and spirituality, period, for covenants, for agreement, because it is literally somewhere in between. And that is where our soul takes place. Our blood flows through our mind. It flows through our heart. It flows through a lot of different areas of our body, but it mainly flows through our mind and our heart. And that's where that place is that we decide, are we going to follow after the spirit, which is within our mind, or are we going to follow after the flesh and the impulses thereof? So that blood level, that soul level is where we decide whether we're going to follow after the way of it's our life. It's our life. So we decide with our not just with our blood, but blood in general, like I said, is a blood covenant. That's why it says we must believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, because if he was spirit only, that would mean there's no blood to atone for our sins. Blood is essential to make covenants. That's why bloodshed brought curses and wickedness. It talks about those who are led by wickedness. There's violence on their lips. And. It talks about bloodshed with foolishness as well, but we're focusing on wickedness today. But like I said, blood is a very vital currency. It's a it, it helps to it's the only real way to bring something from the spiritual into it's not the only way, but it's the main way that things are brought from the flesh to the spirit into the spirit to the flesh. It's the main avenue, the main caveat or conduit is one of the main conduits. And that's why it's so vital for us to understand what the Passover lamb is, what the Passover is in Exodus 12, where the blood atoned and it prevented the spirit of death from coming on. So the bloodshed brought forth hope. Now, the reason why I brought forth, brought up the two, some of the gender roles and stuff like that. And the thing is, like I said, I don't have a traditional view of this because you know, a lot of people, when they talk about traditional views, they think they take it only back as far as the Industrial Revolution, where the man goes out and works in the woman's home and she is just a homemaker. And it's there's nothing wrong with that. I don't not necessarily think that's wrong. But even in America alone, not just the society as a whole, but just America alone, go back an era before that, the era before the Industrial Revolution. How do people live? People lived with their family, just their family. They all worked together. They may all had business together. And yes, there were some stipulations. It wasn't all perfect then or, you know, the goal that some people have. But the thing I want to focus on is they worked together. There was no separation. But the point of it was to bring singleness. So they worked in the farm together. They did things together. It wasn't about some huge dominant struggle or anything like that, like people make it about. But there was a relationship. Yes, there was order to it. And yes, the difference was highlighted. But like I said, it wasn't about I'm in this role. I'm in that role. But it was more about I'm in the order of God and we're working together. It wasn't there was no like like I said, a lot of people, they only look at that. She should be here and he should be here from the Bible. They were working together from the very beginning of time. A lot of ancient societies. That's how a lot of that worked. 
even when the Bible describes a virtuous woman, she was one that went out into the field and she made tapestries. So she was a businesswoman. The Bible wasn't against even queens and stuff like that. But like I said, there was a specific order to how things worked, especially within the family unit. And another thing with the blood, uh, there's a false notion going on. There's a lot of weird stuff. I've noticed just period weird doctrines like kingdom spouses and stuff like that. And people talking about counterfeits and blah, blah, blah. And this weird, strange divination is what it is because people, when you get off of that straight and narrow and you get off of that one peculiar straight and narrow way, and you go with this familiar way that the world is familiar with, you're now being led by the spirit of error or familiar spirits. You're being led by a way that is familiar to the world. But like I said, all this weird, you know, God told me this, God told me that, God told me this is my husband, God told me. And like I said, I think God can present somebody to you. I believe God can even approve of someone, but I don't think, like I said, there's only one story in the Bible which is Hosea, where God said, this is who you need to marry. And it was a whore. And I can see why he said you need to definitely be there. Or there's, of course, Mary and Joseph, which they were already together. And he was going to separate over a false claim. And he was like, no, this is still the one. You, you don't need to separate over this because what she said is true. But other than those two scenarios, you know, Adam tried to blame God for what Eve did. Cause it's the woman you gave me. No, he chose the woman. And that's one thing a lot of people don't really realize there. And I know I'm going a little bit off topic. I'm going to wrap it back together. But like I was saying, there's a one of the false notions outside of that weird counterfeit kingdom spouse foolishness is when I see stuff like that, I'm like, I don't know where you guys get that from. But one thing about it is there's a very weird false notion that women have a spiritual they're more spiritual than men and that's not necessarily true according to the bible now there is something that women do have that is more powerful than men in some areas but spirituality is not the one because god said the man covers the woman so that would mean he's more spiritual because spiritual takes place somewhere a little bit beyond the mental level that logical level but I mean, even when you see men correct their kids versus women correct their kids, it's very spirituality, like the way of the spirit is very corrective, is very straightforward, commanding, prophetic. It's not a whole lot of emotion to it. And that's part of the reason why there is a covering place. But there's something different about the woman and the woman is, I would say, more soulful. And why do I say that the life is within the blood? Not only does she is she able to give bring forth life that a man cannot do. You know, he's part of the process and is a very important part, but he cannot bring forth life. But she nurtures the life and brings forth life. She's able to empathize. She's able to give hope. We know that people love their mothers because they give hope and they empathize with your emotions and stuff like that. But they also feel that protection from their father and guidance from their father. And it's not that you can't get guidance from your mother or love from your father. But like I said, this is just known. Another thing is, like I said, your life is in your blood and it affects your soul, which is not just your mind, but also your emotions and all that. So we know just based off of basic anatomy 
that sometimes and not to be whatever, but this is basic anatomy. There's certain points in time where women literally overrun with soul. Life is in the blood. The reason why I bring all that up is we need to make sure that we understand what the order of God is, why the Bible says what it says, because when you read it in its whole context, it makes sense. So, like I said, it's very important for us to understand what hope is. And that's one thing that why it's very important to have that union, why it's very important for both people, because both people have a very important role, men in the way that they speak and women in their influence. It's not that their voice doesn't matter because that's not what it's about, but the influence. That's why I remember, I think I covered a little bit of this in the conversation episode and why the devil also likes to use both men and women in different ways, usually men in their wrath and their rage, but women a lot in their seduction, which is correlated to wickedness because foolishness usually it's a lot of flattery and outward projecting but seduction which is correlated with wickedness draws in and brings people in it's not that men can't be wicked because men can definitely be wicked too that's not what i'm saying i'm just going with the def the way that the proverbs in the bible usually categorizes as more feminine and masculine spiritual things but like I said, going all the way back to the original point, hope gives expectation. It gives motivation. And like I said, I think the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've been watching some videos that popped up on my YouTube feed, not just now, but there's some that are older that I've seen. But like I said, I've seen some more recently that I see this big dilemma that is starting to arise from different standpoints on this issue. And it's because we're out of order. We're not in the order of God. We don't think we need each other. And the thing that it's, it's about, it's not a, even about, you know, preventing from fornication. That's a part of it. But it's really just about the order of God to reproduce life, to reproduce hope, to give motivation, really. Because really, we don't. The way the society's run now, nobody needs each other, especially for fornication, which the Bible preaches about that all the time. And nobody wants to decide they want to talk about it. But it's the main issue. One of the main issues in the Bible is that. But that isn't the issue that it's meant to solve. It's that it's not good for men to be alone, not just for that, but it's because of a motivation thing. So the point of this order is the relationship between love and hope. And there's faith in the middle in between that, but that expectation and that hope and that motivation and that provision, the covering, the security that comes with love, the security that we have in the love of God. That's why the order of God is very important. So, like I said, I'm probably going to only read two chapters, but that's the whole side thing. But the point is, when we keep our expectation on God and we do things God's way, we have hope and the hope keeps us pure in our intention and it keeps from confusion because confusion is a mixture. It's a contamination. It's a pollution mixing the holy with the profane, the clean with the unclean. But when we continue in the way of God and we keep our mind on the way of God, we begin to separate every worldly philosophy. We begin to separate every ungodly thought ungodly passion ungodly desire 
We separate from the world's prerogative of wickedness, which brings forth toilsome burden, depression, whatever else, loneliness. That's the things that the way of wickedness produces. It feels successful on the superficial with greed and fulfilling lust. But at the end of the day, you never are relieved of that toil because this is the burden of the wicked. But the way of God brings forth life and that more abundantly and it gives us purity in our mind so continuing on verse 4 whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin which is error and this in john chapter first john chapter 5 it talks about how there's a sin unto death and there's sin that's not unto death so it's very important for us to realize sin is not just about oh i did the wrong thing it's about error it's just straying away even just a little bit that's sin and that's why it can be sin. And I, I think I talked about this in another episode when you're not doing what God is leading you to do. Because God may not be leading you to do the things that he's leading me to do. So that's why it's very important for you not to just listen to this podcast, but for you to go and pray on your own, to research on your own, to most importantly, study the word on your own. So, you know, whether things are right or wrong, because error is to straying away from that, straying away from what God is leading you to do according to his word, because he's not going to lead you to do something against his word. So whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him talking about covering because this is a love chapter so the surety every way of god is sure it doesn't mean you understand everything but you're sure you trust anything that is not of god is double-minded it's uncertain it's moving it's going two different ways it's dark and light it's confusion but the way of god is single it's sure it's light it's something that you can trust in so this is what the point of all this is to bring trust, to bring purity and truth, of course. So whosoever abideth in him covering, remember, this is what love provides covering whosoever abideth in him sinneth not whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither hath known him. So this is an identity issue. Remember, I always bring up. John 14, 15, John 15, 14 tells us the love of God is obedient. So when we are being obedient to him and walking according to his commandments, we are able to see the commandment of the Lord is enlightened eyes, as Psalm 19 says. So as we are walking in the way of God and not in the way of sin, we are walking in a pure way, in a way that we can see right in the way that is converting our souls to be cleansed, to become more like him and it makes us walk in the identity of God and not the identity of the world. So it's two different identities. This is a, this is an identity issue. So it's based off of what we are covered with. Are we covered with the love of God, which means his obedience? Are we sure in his way? Are we sure? Are we trusting in his way or are we trusting in the way of the world? This is the things that we must understand. The burden of the wicked is they are uncovered because they are walking in the way or of covering in the way of blindness. But the way that they're walking is not in the covering of God outside of the promises of God. So 
whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Righteous meaning justice. The Bible talks about how our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So we must make sure that the way that we judge, the way that we see the world, the way that we look for justice is just. That we do not have an un, unjust balance, but that we have balance in the word, not balance with psychology or worldly concepts, but balance in God, that we have surety in God. So verse eight, he that committeth sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose. The son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. I think it's interesting that it says this, that when we become children of God, we have the ability to repent. That doesn't mean we'll never be make a mistake that we're flawless, but we're perfect in him. That's the purpose of it to make us complete. So even if we slip up here and there, which should not be a regular lifestyle. This, this is what this means. Sin is not a lifestyle for us. And it's really not a regular occurrence at all. So when we do mess up, we own it. And we may be chastised from God, but we do not live in sin. So when we make any slight errors, it's a very quick adjustment, but we're not living in a way of error. That's what this means. So it doesn't mean that you never make a flaw. You never make a mistake, but when you live in God, you have the ability to walk in repentance. It's not just about, I'm sorry for my sins, but repentance means a lifestyle of change, a lifestyle of growth. So when you are walking in his way, you're walking in a way of repentance, which means that we're continually changing. We're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed into the image of who he is. So the further that we walk, the more pure that we become and we're not straying. So we're not sinning because we're walking a lifestyle of repentance. But when you begin to stop repenting, that's got the devil's goal is to get us to stop living a lifestyle of repentance and stop changing. Then we transfer our identity. We decide we do not want to. We no longer desire to identify with God, but we're going to identify with our sin. And when we begin to identify with our sin, we identify with the devil. So this is an identity issue. When we identify with God, we continually repent. We continually change. We continually strive to be like him. But when we commit sin and we stay in that way, we're identifying with the devil. That's what this is about. Identity. Are we identifying with love? Or are we identifying with lust? Are we yielding to love? Or are we yielding to lust? That's what this is about. So in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So we're seeing this is shifting to a thing about love. So the greatest commandment is to love God. The second greatest is to love your brother. It doesn't mean love the world, love your brother. Okay. That means other people who have the identity of Christ. That doesn't mean that you're just nasty to the people in the world either, but this is the emphasis is to love your brother. Now, Jesus did teach about loving your enemy and stuff like that as well. But the main focus here is loving within the body of Christ. 
Another thing to emphasize before I continue on is righteousness is not a bad thing. People act as if you cannot be righteous. Now, righteousness without God is when we begin to justify our sin and justify our way. Well, I'm a good person because blah, blah, blah. Most people who preach self-righteousness are really operating in a way that's self-righteous. But when we are walking in the righteousness of God, the justice of God, that righteousness is, has the ability to say I'm wrong, that I don't do everything right, that I need help. That righteousness is based out of humility. And it also is able to point out when something else is wrong and stand up and be bold and to preach the truth. So righteousness is something that we can work not just through us. It's not about us, but submitting to him that greater is he that is within us through the mighty working within us through Christ. So verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore he slew, slew he him because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. So we see the difference between the two paths. You can either go on the path of righteousness or the path of wickedness. The path of righteousness is just, it's humble, it's meek. And oftentimes the other way is greedy. Well, it's not oftentimes it's greedy, but the thing is, Oftentimes the way of Cain, the way of wickedness seeks to murder violence against the way of righteousness. So it's a covetous spirit. It's idolatrous and it leads to bloodshed. First in the mindset, then in the way that he spoke and then ultimately in the killing of his brother. So the way of righteousness leads to laying your life down for a brother. It, it's humility it's martyrdom really but and mortifying your own flesh but the way of wickedness is glorifying and puffing up your own flesh and your own desires to the point that you will kill anybody who gets in the way of that now it's not to say that we never take a stand for truth but the way of Cain always seeks to kill and stomp out anything that competes with them it's a way of envy it's a way of wickedness so it's very important that we don't operate in this way. So verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother, brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding within him. I think it's interesting because Jesus talked about how if you call someone a fool or if you call say the things that you say, is a deeper indication of murder. Remember, Jesus did not just come to translate the law, even though the law is important. And it's not something that we just discard because the Jesus said the law didn't pass away, but he came to interpret it to the heart level, to the intention level. He dealt with the intentions, not just the action, but the intentions behind it. And he, always, he correlated murder with the words that we say. He also co correlated defilement with the words that we say. So the words that we say are very important. It's very important that we speak truth, but it's also very important that the intention behind the words that we say are with edification. That doesn't mean it's always going to be something that people like to hear. That's very important. 
It's not always going to be something people like to hear. Sometimes it's going to be corrective. Sometimes it's going to be. But the point is, it's going to edify. It's going to give someone something to work with. It's it could be constructive criticism at times, but it's not destructive. That's the point of it. Every way of God brings forth edification. So it's very important. The things that we say, the things that we think. And that's one thing that separates the righteous from the wicked. The way of wicked, the wicked is always murderous. So verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not hold on. Let me pause there. It said the world's good. The world's version of good has this impartiality to it. It's not always treating everyone without respects of persons, but it'll shut up its bowels of compassion. It'll shut up and be selfish. That's really what it's based out of selfishness. And what is this generation? Self-love, self-love, self-love. That's demonic. It's a, it's a doctrine of devils. It's what it is. Just call it what it is. It's a doctrine of devils because it's not that we don't take care of ourselves, but we need to make sure that we love God and then love others. Ourselves is not first in the sense of putting our desires first, but we need to put God's desires first. And when we put God's desires first, that's putting us first in a godly way to where we're not going to let people lead us off the way of God, but we put God's way first, which is going to be to have your own prayer life, to separate time with just you and God. That's what the Sabbath was even for was to separate time with just you and God. Then if you have a family to tend to your family, then to tend to other people. So there is an order to all this. But the point is, it's not selfish. It's always based off of others. The other first being God, then others. So my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So it's not just the words that we say or the things that we speak, but in our actions shows our love. So the way that we act and in truth, love must be based in truth. And remember, the ways of God are always the ways of holiness is mercy and truth. So if there's no truth in the love, then it's not love. And that's the issue, like I said, even with false hope false peace it brings forth false love the way of love has to have truth in it so if you're lying to someone to make them feel better that's not love that's lust so we need to make sure that every way that we act is in truth verse 19 and hereby we know that we are of the truth and assure our hearts before him for if our heart condemn us god is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandment and dwelleth in him, and he in him 
And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So this is the way of God. The way out of wickedness is love. But the way of wickedness is based out of lust. It's also based out of unforgiveness and bitterness. Because whenever it talks about wickedness, it talks about iniquity and the goal of bitterness. Iniquity is injustice. So iniquity is the opposite of righteousness. It's inequity, a not equal way, a not just way. So the ways of wickedness is correlated with iniquity. It's also correlated with bitterness. The goal of bitterness is what it will say a lot of times. A lot of times it leads into sorcery with witchcraft manipulation. So. The way of God is not manipulative. It's truthful. And I know I've I've seen different things where people talk about power and charisma and all that, but it's not the way of God. It's really not. The way of God is truthful. Another thing about the way of God is it's forgiving. When you are unforgiving, you're saying that I don't trust God to do just judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible does talk about how somebody should repent as well. That doesn't mean that we're foolish or that we just let people run us over, but we must be forgiven because, and you can feel unforgiveness when you hold unforgiveness, you're not releasing God to do what he desires, which it may be merciful, but you're going to get recompense and they're going to get recompense as well. But when you hold unforgiveness, you're releasing demons to operate on your behalf and you're going to hold them until you see what you desire instead of you know what let god have his way father forgive them but when you hold on forgiveness that also stores up judgment and wrath against you which is why it's very important for us to learn how to forgive because like i said it it doesn't work out for you also it says here that it prevents your prayers so when we're walking in love when we're walking in the way of god we have our prayers answered that doesn't necessarily mean that everything in this world that we'll get, that we'll have the nicest car in the world, that we'll have the nicest house in the world. It's not necessarily about health and wealth, even though those things are important things that God will give us. But the blessings of God is based off of prayer. He'll answer things because we are in line with God. He answers things according to his will. And as we submit to his love, we begin to learn his will and his will becomes our will. But when we are seeking our own will, we're not going to see everything come to pass and we're going to try to make things come to pass on our own. But it's not going to be by the grace of God. Now, I'm going to read one more scripture. It's not even going to be the whole chapter, but it's Genesis chapter four. And it's referring to the story of Cain and Abel. And we're going to see the curse, the burden of the wicked, the curse. So the first curse came because of disobedience and disorder. The second curse in the Bible that came came forth because of envy and wickedness. So let's see what this curse is. So Genesis chapter four, starting with verse one, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Then she bare his brother, Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. And but Cain was a tiller of the ground. I think it's interesting there different occupations because it talks about the root of bitterness. So he was investing a lot into the earth versus Abel. He was investing into life around him and the sheep full. So I think it's also interesting just looking from the very occupation itself. So verse 
three. It's just the following. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So he was angry and he was discouraged. But let me, let me further emphasize the symbolic symbolicness of this. Abel offered a soulful sacrifice. He offered blood. Life is in the blood. Cain offered up something that was of this earth. He offered up something that was a fleshly thing, really, because that's where our flesh comes from. It's from the world. He offered up something carnal versus Abel. He offered up something from his soul. So it very much matters. God cares about the things that we offer up. He pays attention. He's attentive. That's what I should say, not care. But he's very attentive to the way that we offer because there's an unacceptable way to approach God. That doesn't mean he won't correct us. He corrected him. What did he say here? Verse six, the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt be, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him. So what do we see here? If you, all he said is, if you do the right thing, you're going to get the right result. You messed up. It's okay go on it's there's no reason to get discouraged about it just go back and do it right it's better to do things right the first time yes but if you didn't it's okay just get right back up but if you don't error is lying at the door but if you follow after my way i'm gonna give you dominion over error so we have the ability to get up as sons of god but what did he do did he decide to stay in the covering of god or he followed the way of sin sin is lying at the door so verse eight and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. So he, he started talking first. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel, thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So he didn't even take responsibility for his actions. So he lied to God. Not only that, he had no intention of showing love to his brother. Nothing he did was motivated by love. It was all motivated by his own feelings and his own way. Now, he should have gave all that soul to God, but instead he used it to murder. That's a wicked way of operating. As I mentioned, the way of wickedness, there's only really two ways to operate in this world. You're following the way of Abel, the humble way, which may be martyred and lays his life down even, or you're following after the way of Cain, which murders others, the wicked way. So verse 10, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth out unto me. Remember blood is the life. So bloodshed brings forth a curse. So God is going to always bring forth righteousness when people do wrong against you, especially when you're right. But even if you're not right, God always recompenses for blood. So verse 11, and like I said, violence and bloodshed starts with words. So he recompenses there too. Verse 11, and now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive 
receive that brother's blood from that hand. So that blood is the covenant that created the curse. So verse 12, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. And from thy face I shall be hid, and I shall be a fugitive, a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. Then the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any one finding him should kill him. Now, really, he might have been better off just dying because he is now living a toilsome life. What is wickedness? Toilsome. So not only was he toilsome, but he's now a fugitive. He's wandering around with no real purpose. Not only that, he's lost. This is what it, a lost lifestyle is. To not have a place. You're out of place. So not only is nothing working for you spiritually and you're no longer getting fruit and blessing. Like I said, it's not just about material things because he built a city. But it's not just about material things. It's a, the blessing. Things start to work against you, especially in the spirit. This is the curse of the wicked. Firstly, it's toilsome. That's very in the very definition of it. And first John chapter three talked about that as well. But it also takes away your direction. It takes away your hope. It takes away that purity. And that's why it's very important that we walk in the way of God and that we don't reject his way and most importantly it's important that we renew our heart after him and we do what's acceptable to God because the more that we reject God the further into this way of sin and murder that we're going to go into that we're going to begin to talk against people that are righteous that we're going to begin to plot against those and move into an aspect in the realm of covenants covetousness Covetousness has to be probably the most overlooked commandment because covetousness is usually the thing that motivates all the other commandments, such as murder, adultery, even idolatry, all these different commandments. It's motivated by that last one and murder. Like I said, all these different things, it's based off of covetousness, but we need to allow God to work within our hearts, to get our eyes off of others and to get our eyes back on him first. Then when we do what's right to God, then we can love others. But if we get consumed in ourself, then we're not going to love God. And that's going to be shown in our hatred towards our brothers and towards those that are doing the will and the righteousness of God. So that is just the beginning intro into the burden of the wicked. There's so much deeper. I could have gone into that. But the way of God brings forth hope. The way of God brings forth faith and the way of God ultimately brings forth love as well. And we should have all these things as a believer. We should have the peace of God. We should have a lot of things in God. But the most important thing is that we're not living a toilsome life. His burden is light. That doesn't mean we won't have persecution, that we won't have anybody come against us. But our prayers will be answered and we will have peace and we will not have a heavy burden. Even in a bad situation, we will have peace. So I try to make a shorter episode. I read about a chapter and a half. And I'm already almost at an hour, so I'm going to close up this episode with prayer. 
So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you provided for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would cover us with your blood, that you would give us revelation, that we will walk in the blessing of your covenant, that you died for us, that you showed us the way of love, and that we would crucify ourselves firstly for you and also for others, that we would live having those personal convictions that aren't about our desires and selfishness, but convictions that have other people in mind convictions that we may not care about these things, but we know other people care about those things so that we put others before us as the first episode of the season said, not being a stumbling block to others. I pray Lord that you would lead us and guide us in all of your ways, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us in your perfect way, that you would remove the curse of wickedness from us and that you would break the veil of deception in the ways of selfishness and that you would lead us in the way of love to firstly please you and that it will be shown in the way that we love others so pour out your love pour out your faith and give us that expectation so that we can be pure in our mindset that we may be single in our mindset and that we will be walking in your light and not in darkness so i pray lord that you would enlighten all darkness and that you would lead us by the way of your commandment perfectly in your holy name jesus i pray amen well, I talked about quite a bit of stuff that I didn't necessarily plan on talking about in this episode, but like I said, the burden of the wicked, this is just the intro kind of into some of the wickedness that I've been talking about, but that's what wickedness is. It's not just about, oh, I'm some evil wicked witch or I'm some evil villain. No, that's not what wickedness is in the Bible. It's a defective way of living. It's a curse of toilsomeness in our mind, a toilsomeness in the way that we do things, a lack of fulfillment and enjoyment to where we always turn to sin and drunkenness and fornication and all these other things that we, we have no fulfillment. But in God, we have hope in God. We have faith in God. We have love, which brings forth joy and peace and a lot of other fruits. So. I pray that you guys continue to pray on this subject, that you pray for revelation and that we will walk after the way of righteousness. But until next time, thank you guys all for listening. And I pray that each and every one of you have a blessed day. God bless.